We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, but even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dig- dig- dignity of man. Now, of course, he'd say the dignity of humanity now. Well, I've heard it said change only comes after enough innocent blood soaks into America's soil. Well, if you were alive in America when the Kent State Massacre happened on May 4th, 1970, you know the event stands out as a turning point in history. One of those few events of such incredible significance that history is instantly redirected. The shock and tragedy of government troops firing live bullets into crowds of peaceful young anti-war protesters and killing four of them and wounding others was a wake-up call like none other. And on February 14, 2018, 15 students and two teachers were killed in that high school in Parkland, Florida. Everything changed with Kent State. Today we're going to discuss how the two bloody events may serve to be similar wake-up calls resulting in real change happening. One generation of young people led the war against the war last time. Are we now seeing the rise of another generation equally determined to achieve change? The life of our guest today was forever changed with the Kent State Massacre. Only 15 at the time, Laurel Krause's 19-year-old sister, Allison, was one of those four students killed by National Guard bullets at Kent State. In a new column called From Kent State to Parkland High, Will America Ever Learn? Laurel Krause writes, I know the horror of how this feels, especially to the families personally hurt. I know what those grieving 17 families have been going through since their Valentine's Day. Loss beyond words. Hurt beyond description. A feeling that nothing will change and no one will come to their aid to make change. The needlessness of the deaths staring you in the face. The flower of youth snuffed out by America's inability to curb the urge to kill and massacre with automatic weapons. And she adds, the family lives of those harmed will never be the same. Laurel Krauss, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Are you there? I am, um, oh. I'm here. Oh, good. Not really happy to be here uh, because it's such a sad occurrence that we're yeah. dealing with right now. But I am here. I'm glad you're here. Laurel Krauss is an activist and writer dedicated to fighting for truth and accountability in the Kent State Massacre which is not yet complete, the fighting for truth and accountability part, and raising awareness for ocean and environmental protection. She is the co-founder and director of Kent State Truth Tribunal and is currently launching the Allison Center for Peace. Well, again, thanks for being with us. Your sister's life was taken 48 years ago. But there are a great many young people who may be listening but who have been spared 
the horrible knowledge of what happened at Kent State that day. No doubt you've done it more times than you can imagine, but please briefly tell us what happened that day, May 4th, 1970. Um, it, you have to start with April 30th, which was when President Nixon announced there was going to be the Cambodian invasion uh, to Americans that had anticipated him winding down the Vietnam War. Instead, he decided he was going to wind it up and send a draft-age students to the war. They were protesting. They re- their response was, uh, we, we don't, we don't want to go. We're done with this war. There's no reason for us to be fighting this war. And that was across campuses in America, because the only way you could stay out of the draft and not go to Vietnam was to go to school or to be a conscientious objector. So the the campuses across America went into high gear. Uh, The government knew they would do this. I believe it was their plan to elicit... Uh, this this protest response, and uh, they met it with the iron fist um, in Ohio, uh, Kent State University, um, uh, Governor Rhodes. Uh, there were a lot of events. It's a complicated story, right. but on May fourth, uh, May fourth, nineteen seventy, at noon, at, on the campus of Kent State University. Um, I think it was 28 National Guardsmen. We don't have the full count. Right. You know, it's, it's 48 years later. We still don't know how many Guardsmen were shooting. Um, 48 Guardsmen shot uh, from a very far distance, a football field distance, hmm. from many of the students that they, they killed and wounded. At the top of the hill, they, they shot their weapons into an, a crowd of unarmed right. students. Some were protesting, and some were just going to lunch, and changing classes. Four died, nine were wounded, and ever since that day, the government has has not been accountable for what they've done. Uh, my family uh, sent it, uh, we worked on, through the courts uh, for nine years, and in the end, settled because everyone needed to have medical attention, and that wasn't paid for. Um, there's some people that are in wheelchairs from Kent State, uh, one fellow, and uh, basically uh, we settled. Uh, in the end, we got a statement of regret from our government, which the National Guard came and said the next day, this is not an apology. And we received, my family, $15,000 for my sister's life, oh Alice my. and Beth Krause. Oh, my God. Hmm. $15,000. So it goes on, it goes on, and I have a feeling this uh, shooting at Parkland... Well, it has to go on for an awful lot of people. That I mean, it happened, you know, in a few instances that day, but it will go on and on and on. Now, I was in college at the time. My memory is that notices appeared under every dorm room uh, that Tuesday morning, the day after. It was quite the wake-up call. The protests against the war had been going on for about five years by then, starting out very small but growing each and every year. The Kent State Massacre was, of course, like nothing before it suddenly we middle-class college kids who could avoid the draft were at risk of being shot down, at risk of government soldiers treating us as the enemy. What was the effect, according to your memory, of Kent State on that anti-war movement? My sense is it, uh, it activated us even more. Well, Kent State was when the war came home. It was a domestic battle. Um, Ten days later, Jackson State. 
two more students. They were black. Uh, I think 14 or 15 people were very uh, seriously injured. Yes. Uh, it was law enforcement that shot up in, in a dormitory there. Uh, it was anti-war. There was, you know, a lot of... What happened after the Kent State is, uh, I think it was uh, eight, uh, 900 campuses went on strike and 400,000 students went to the streets. Um, and they did, uh, but as they went to the streets, they were all in post-traumatic stress. I mean... Uh, everyone that was uh, um, in their teens and early 20s at the time of the Kent State Massacre thought it could be them. That was everyone's thought. Yep. That could have been me. And when you think that, and something this horrible happens, and so much carnage, and it's all on the TV, and you're seeing it on and on and on, and you're getting post-traumatic stress delivered from the post, you know, from the TV. Yeah. You know, it, it, it disenables you. I, I don't know what the right term is, but you just you don't act in your life the same way ever mm. again. You're forever changed. And that had an effect, you know, people realized that they were going to take to the streets, they were going to be shot at. <laughs> you know, was it worth it? Would it be worth it for them to go into the streets and die, you know, in the name of the war? Well, my sister, she thought it was worth it. Mm. And, and, um, and, and the others, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard to say. But I think everyone really got mortally scared. And they realized, you know, and, and beyond that, what happened is um, when Kent State happened, the class, all campuses shut down, yes. everyone scattered. Yep. It was really hard for people to organize after that. That's true. And they're dealing with their emotions out of control. A lot of fear. Yeah. And thirdly, J. Edgar uh, Hoover's mm. FBI was following everyone, violently harassing people, making sure that this took hold, that the fear... And the chilling effect of it all would make sure that no one, you know, those shut those kids up. That's what it was about. Wow. And those kids, you know, their number one thing was anti-war. And so it was devastating to the anti-war movement. I mean, yes, there were a couple of large-scale, you know, protests after that. But the, the good thing that did come out of it is the war did end. Yeah. And in... And, 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 I believe Kent State brought a quicker end to the war. I believe so. It would have kept going on and on like we have now. Yeah, it's true. I, I think so, too. And, of course, I was, uh, at the time, in college, I think a sophomore. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, but if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. There's never a lack of subject matter. Mm. We're talking with uh, uh, Laurel Krauss about uh, Kent State, Parkland, what connections there may be after Kent State? The Bert, what, Bert, Bert, what, was, what was your experience? You know, did you feel that chilling effect? Did you, you know, think about what you were going to go do the next day? Yeah, and what you were willing to put on the line about that? Well, I, it was to close down the colleges made us less of a target. It's for sure. I mean, suddenly, you know, as you say, we were scattered. So in a way, that did make us safer. But we were. Angry. We were furious. I mean, 
you know, the war had been escalating and escalating and escalating. When, and I'm talking about the war in Vietnam as well as at home. Because, as you said, there was this kind of generation gap that there was yeah. back then. A lot of people then, you know, had, had one sense of, of culture and what the right thing was. And young people realized, hey, what we were taught about America being the good guy, ooh, boy, that's really in question at best in Vietnam. And I, I'm seeing sort of a generation gap now, too. What, what do you think about yeah. What's your sense of a current generation gap with the millennials and the young people who are, and I have a daughter in college right now. Well, I, I mean, I ask her, but I would think that you know, back the generation gap was one of the biggest deals going on there. The young people couldn't connect with the old people. The old people were damned if they would listen to the young people, yeah. and 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 they were going into going about doing that with law and order. It wasn't just like, you know, we're not going to listen to you, you know, be quiet. It's like, we're going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, that was the the bottom line of what happened in the generation gap issue here. You know, you know, you better really, you know, do what we say or you're going to have serious consequences. You're either going to sure. go to war or you're going to get killed in the U.S. I mean, I mean, that is really what happened. And now we now, have... What's going... Well, okay. I was just going to say, you know, with regard to the whole gun debate. I mean, these students, you know, I look at young people anywhere I go these days, and obviously they are aware that no school is safe. And, you know, I was I was actually up at the State House recently. Uh, there was a bill on allowing guns into schools. It was defeated, luckily. Uh, but uh, just, you know, having, and there were some fourth graders there, they are aware of it. And they're they're aware, certainly, that this generation you know, we've had so many massacres, Columbine, the uh, Newtown thing. We haven't gotten it done. And so there they are. And I get the sense... Well, the most important topic that we're looking at is protecting the children. Yes. I mean, isn't that at the heart of this whole thing, protecting the children? That got lost in the Vietnam War. They they wanted us to go fight it for them, <laughs> uh. <laughs> not protect them, you know. Uh, you know, uh, and now... The call is even more important now, today. Protect the children. They can be hit not just in schools, at movie theaters, you yes. know, anywhere. anywhere. You know, outdoor music concerts. And the government, what will they be doing to protect the children or right. protect average American citizens? They're not doing that. It's not their business, they think. Mm -hmm. They don't think it's their business. They think their business is in regulating guns. <laughs> it's not. Their business is in protecting us. Yes. That is their business. That's why they, uh, we have government, not this other stuff. And I think the kids know that. They know they're not safe anywhere, not just in schools. Yeah. And they, have, they got their post-traumatic stress delivered to them early. They know that they have to act and make a change or nothing will be done. And for this, I think they're willing to die for it. Because what are their choices? Hmm. Ah, I, I I shouldn't have silence on a radio, but it, you, you got me there. That's a very good uh, good point. And, you know, there, there's the generation gap, and they are determined, determined to do something now. I mean, you know, I, I did sort of wonder. Their life depends on it. Their life literally depends on them doing something here. Yeah. That's true. And, 
you know, Americans are known for having limited attention spans and very short memories. Uh, you know, the 24-hour news cycle and the daily, if not hourly, minute-by-minute, bizarre, beyond-belief statements of our president keep everything moving really quickly. So stories get old really quickly. After the Newtown massacre, in which little kids were shot down, I mean, little kids, toddlers and stuff, it quickly became old news. Supposedly, Vice President Biden was forming a special committee to come up with gun safety suggestions. No, it does, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now, after Parkland, it seems high school kids across America seem fired up like I have never seen. From your knowledge and experience, what role might these kids best play? What is their unique potential in affecting American history? Uh, the history of the world, the young people are the ones that bring change. That's always the way it is. Yes. Not the old people. <laughs> We're fat and happy and compromised already, you know? <laughs> That's true. Uh, they're going to make this happen. I don't know if they're going to succeed. I hope they will. Oh, I think they will. Uh, my thought is, um, as a baby boomer, mm-hmm. I caught it on the tail end. I'm 62 years old. What have I got to do better than to protect the youth of our country? What have I got to do that's more important than having their backs and making sure that they're protected and that their cause is heard? I can't think of a better thing to dedicate my pseudo-retirement, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to back those kids and whatever they want because they're innocent. Let's yes. get real. Yeah, they, they're, they're speaking a, a voice of humanity that gets lost in the jumble of our society and, and the mores and, and the crooked crookedness of everything these days. You know, and, and they have to be the ability to come together. And that's, mm. there's a lot of kids. I mean, there's a lot of teenagers out there yes. that want to be heard, and they have been not been heard. And you know how that was with us. We were a force. We were. I, it's my feeling that this whole thing, Kent State thing, happened. The, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back was Woodstock. Interesting. And when the authorities looked at Woodstock, and they saw how many people were there and how they were doing so well with peace, love, and understanding, they had to do something. And their answer to Woodstock, which was in August 1969, mm-hmm. was Kent State and Jackson State. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And I, it's very clear to me that they had very effective plans that worked and splintered everything. So I'm hoping that the next, this next go-round, these, these kids... Yeah. From co- coming from across America to demand safety and to have the guns yeah. turned into plowshares, whatever we need to do, whatever this has to happen, you know, uh, it's not going to stop will, until. Yeah, it's not going to stop until we really achieve something. I just something. hope they don't. I hope they don't reach you know something that that makes them cave like us. Well, Trump did. Trump certainly tried to do that with. 
with saying, you know, shore up the schools and, uh, you know, just, okay, go against the bump stocks. That's the least he can do, the very least he well, can he, do. Well, he has effectively, by calling for having guns in schools, he's making the, yeah. gun, the school a war zone. Oh, absolutely. That is what that means. That is so insane. I mean, crossfire, hello. You know, I mean, we could go on and on about that. And one of the things, it's interesting that you brought up Woodstock. Uh, and it's a cultural thing, culture and politics. I do believe that cultural change precedes political change. And we have had a lot of cultural change. I mean, the kids these days, racism, uh, anti-gay stuff, I mean, it's nothing. They're like, what the heck? That mean? You know, that's completely out of their universe. It doesn't exist to them. They just think it's ridiculous. And so they're, they have made some significant cultural change, as did we you know, it, at Woodstock and a lot of different places. We made some real cultural change. And I do find it uh, kind of fun that kids these days still like the music that we were into, but that's beside the point. Uh, but well, there, Peter Coyote, yes. uh, Peter Coyote, who's one of the voices from the, from the past, uh, he has a, a number of books out. He's a voice of our culture because he he's, is. he's narrating everything. <laughs> yes. Um, but he also, uh, I watched uh, Witness to the Revolution, uh, this, oh. uh, the book. I don't know if you've seen that phenomenal mm-hmm. book by uh, Clara Bingham. Uh, it's, it, it covers Kent State, but it also talks about the cultural choices, the political. And, and, and he said, we won all the cultural wars. Yes, we did. We won them all. Yes. And he says, you're going to find a free clinic Everywhere you're going to find birth, even birth control, you're going to, we won those all. Yep. Many, 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 many. Of course, they've been scrapped away and belittled, and it doesn't matter, you know. Well, and they're still fighting. Did, you, know? <laughs> you know, the other side is still fighting. They are not giving up. And that's one of the things about, I think, the, the gun debate now is how cultural it is. The debate over gun safety laws has been in the uh, frame of a war between cultures. On one side, other liberal elitists who would never own a gun, and on the other side are right-wing Trump supporters who treasure the Second Amendment perhaps more than any other freedom. It's, it's a little but bit... I think there's, there's more to it as well. There's a lot of cultural stuff with the, the family hunting and stuff. You yeah. Know, the yeah, father yeah. went hunting with the son, and he gives it to his son, and they, and they all, like, shoot at animal, defenseless animals. Yeah. <laughs> know. You know, and it's like I mean, I'll never get it. I, I never. frankly don't either. But, you know, I can't. I wonder what similarity, similarities there may be now and then the cultural divides and, the, you know, which was so prevalent back then. And it's it's still. Well, it was long hairs then. Remember? Oh, yes. I mean, I look we, terrible we in long hair. Long hair. Yes. You know, and we were dirty hippies. Yeah. You know, we didn't bathe enough or something. <laughs> Not true, never true. No, I mean, okay, yes, but there's always people that don't bathe in every culture, you know. <laughs> but but we, you know, we also had some values too, and I think my sense at the time was that uh, yes, I was at Woodstock. That only about fifteen percent of us, and there were a lot of us, really cared about political change. You know, we didn't want to go to the war because we didn't want to get shot. We didn't want you know more Kent States. I think it was more than fifteen percent of the people that were there yeah, that maybe. didn't want to go to war. Well, they didn't want to go to war for sure, and now you know. I would say that that was like ninety-four percent. Oh yeah. At least. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, even those that went to war certainly didn't want to go to the war. But there was a cultural divide then, and I'm there wasn't much in the middle. I mean, I'm still thinking that uh, you know maybe I'm in a minority here that I 
having been a, a legislator in New Hampshire, where there is a large gun culture, that, you know, the Second Amendment is one thing, but we can, I think, most people, most gun owners are responsible people. A lot of them are parents. They don't want kids to be mowed down. And they are not against reasonable gun safety laws. And that the Second Amendment is not, doesn't have to be overturned. I think when we say, well, we've got to overturn and repeal Second Amendment, we're not going to get anywhere with that. But hopefully, uh, you know, I, maybe there's more of a uh, possibility of connection between the generations because so many innocent people are being killed. And when they... You know, the, the, the toddlers, the elementary school kids couldn't stand up, but high school kids are standing up all across the country, and I don't see it going away. Uh, you were about to say something, Laurel. Well, yes, I think underneath it all, if you, you know, you dig down to the very bottom of this whole thing, this is a corporate play. The gun manufacturers uh, yes. want to make sure that there's a, a lot more guns everywhere in America. And, and and the Republican Party and some of the Democrats, and so I would say Congress, I'm going to go as far as to say Congress, yeah. is very involved in this in making sure that that's enabled. That that, that you know, that corporation, you know, Smith & Wesson and all the rest of them, you know, these handgun and, and you know, AR and all the other manufacturers, they, they are running this. And that's what this is about. Absolutely. This isn't about any of the other stuff. Let's get real, right? Yeah. Am, I, am I wrong? Oh, no, I don't think you are. And the NRA changed dramatically in 1979, actually. There was sort of an internal coup where the gun manufacturers kind of took over the NRA. So they are the gun manufacturers' lobby. And I think one of the things that, yes. you know, happened back then during the, during the war was, okay, there are all these big corporations, you know, uh, weapons contractors that are making a lot of money, and they have a lot of power in Congress over policy. Well, here we are today. Who has the power, yes. the NRA or the people? And uh, what are your thoughts about that? And it's very clear that we don't, we have no power in Congress. Congress... I have no hope for. There's no way for us to control it. Yeah, we can vote, but they're going to... They've just never been on our side. Congress is... I mean, and, and maybe we have to just turn away from them and say, you have to be on our side, and, and you have to deal with us in a different way than you're dealing with it. I, I don't know how... Maybe the kids can figure that out. Right. I would love it if the kids figured that out, because mm-hmm. we have to turn the tables on our lawmakers and on our leaders, they, you know, they're going to write the history of this thing, of what happened in Parkland, just like they write the history of Kent State. Kent State, the history of Kent State is being finalized the 50th anniversary in two years mm-hmm. from now, mm-hmm. which will be in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the full history, the documented history, will be managed by Kent State University and the government. Uh-huh. They will not allow me in. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to have my part of the story here. Oh Meanwhile, I've interviewed oh. over 80 original participants and witnesses of the Kent State Massacre, and I want their voices heard. And I actually would like to have that part of the documented history, not just what our government says. So we see this Parkland thing coming on. And what what are they going to write about that? Will we, will we learn about the, uh, the, the sheriff's? The officers that decided that they couldn't go in there. Right. 
Will we learn about what their decisions were and why they made those decisions? We're never going to learn this stuff unless we demand to have our uh-huh. history be part of the people's voice, not just the government voice. I think that's, that's my soapbox. You know. Well, I I think you're you're really onto something here about how important history is, and regular listeners have heard me say ad infinitum. The one thing I've learned from history is that we never learn from history. But and your art, <laughs> your article is titled "From Kent State to Parkland High: Will America Ever Learn?" I think the fact that even Rick Scott, governor of Florida, who I mean, he he put his finger to the wind, and that's the important thing where maybe young people actually have some power. As I said, you know, the elementary school kids, they're, you know, from Newtown, they weren't going to show up, but these kids are determined. They are afraid. They affected Rick Scott. They, they had him say, well, it, you know, he has to do something. He has to do something, changing the age of possession of, uh, of, of rifles from 18 to 21. It's not a lot, but the fact that he's feeling the pressure, that pressure is coming from the kids. The pressure is coming from the kids. They make the the NRA, the gun manufacturers, incredibly powerful in Congress, you know. And and the money buys advertising. It buys you know a good campaign strategy, etc. You know, I be, taking care of all the data management. But in the final analysis, it's votes. And kids, you know, at eighteen years old, uh, they can vote now, and they are going to vote. And eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Yep, mm-hmm. that's right. And you know, a lot of us didn't. And it's interesting how the perception of of the power of kids. I remember uh, Nixon, after after Kent State, when the schools shut down, the reality is, and Laurel, you remember, that it kind of, you know, petered out a little bit over the summer as we dispersed. But Nixon was still scared. There was a time I was at some anti-war demonstration where he had buses end-to-end around the block of the White House touching each other, and inside the buses were troops ready with machine guns. He was scared of the power of the kids. That is amazing to me. I mean, the reality is he didn't need to be, but he was scared of the power of us kids. And, you know, the kids today, they're not I think they are it. today, too. I think, you know, and, and I think, you know, Scott and all the rest of these these uh, yeah. politicians, mm-hmm. they all have children, yes. you know, <laughs> all of them. Yes. And I can't imagine that their kids are saying, oh, yeah, put more guns in the school, Dad. <laughs> 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 you know, can you imagine the kids saying that? No. Uh-huh. No, there's no way. And so, I mean, every family has children. This is huge. Yeah. I've always thought it would be the kids that would, would get our... Yeah, we'll make the change. Uh, I've always felt that. I hope so. And, I hope so. And I but think we, we have to have their backs. That's what I want to call on everyone that's uh-huh. listening to this. Uh-huh. Please, please, would you please listen to your teenagers? Would you please let them have a life that they can live without the fear that they're going to get massacred? <laughs> would you make sure that their voices are heard? Take them to demonstrations. Stand with them. And there is a Change lot. Protect your vote. Yes. Protect your children. <sighs> yeah, it's not asking for very much, really. Hopefully, I mean, people should be there anyway, but but you're right. We do have, we older people have a, uh, a role to play, certainly, uh, and that we can be with them and know that you're right. 
that we have their backs. This is something that happened a moment. Well, in- we went through a similar event in our lives. Yes. That destroyed us. It destroyed us. It destroyed part of our hope for our lives. We've carried it with us our whole lives. We've been belittled by it. How, you know, oh, they really didn't get much done, you know, all talk, no action. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what did you do, you losers, you, you know, baby boomers? I mean, we've heard it all. Yeah. You know, we've heard all the myths that they made up about us, about spitting on. Uh, we never did that. No. We never. They, they made us out to do, and everyone knows. Yeah. And now well, they're going to. They're going to bring it to these kids. And we got to protect them. And you're right. We do have to bring history into it. I mean, I love the fact that, once again, kids are taking the lead. You see Howard Zinn's book, A People's History of the United States. That's probably the most popular American history book in America, or at least in the Northeast. I don't know. but uh, Well, you know, Howard was a professor of mine. Oh, I did not know that. I heard him speak once, and he changed— Boston University. He was a friend for life, wow. and he helped me found the Kent State Truth Tribunal. He gave me a quote. Uh, he said, "I'm sorry, Laurel. Call me Lori because that's my childhood name. Uh-huh. He, Lori, I won't be able to be there uh, in May, uh, and I don't know how he knew that, but he died two weeks later." Oh my God! Well, he so, changed. He changed my life. I well, I think I was 14 years old when I went to. An anti, my first probably anti-war march, and, and he gave a speech, and I realized, oh, my God, this is really different than what I thought. You know, this wasn't a mistake, that this was part and parcel of American foreign policy in general. I had no idea, and he absolutely changed my life. And uh, the fact that, I mean, history is so important. You had that recent uh, uh, Ken Burns kind of corporate uh, the way they treated the war in Vietnam, there has to be this official history. And myth replaces history. The process of forgetting is essential to rewrite history the way they want it to be written. And you write about, you know... He managed to get in a few pieces that, that really yeah. did, uh, you know, there were a few that that brought it up. I, but there wasn't much I'm of a history. I'm very thankful that he, that in the Kent State he showed my sister's funeral. Uh. That's what he showed. He showed me. I'm in it. I'm 15 years old. Three different video shots of my family looking at my sister's casket uh. and the flowers there. And I think that that really was how we all looked at Kent State. Well, and about facing the death of youth and the killing of children once again. Yeah, and the PTSD, you know, the stuff that stay. I mean, all these kids, every kid in America now knows. I mean, black kids have known for a long time, inner city black kids in particular, that, that you know, that it's, it's a dangerous world out there, that their, uh, you know, expected life expectancy is not uh, <laughs> the same as it is for, for white kids. But now, you know, I mean, Kent State happened to, to white kids, and uh, they— they they now know that they may be on the firing line and that we have to do something about it, and they are taking something about it. I don't know how those kids are going to go back to school. That's what my worry uh, is right now. How do you face that? You just go back in like nothing happened? Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be really, really hard. How can it ever be the same? How can? And I was thinking about how can they get back to the subject matter, math and science and, you know, who knows, whatever. It's, it's not just that school either. It's Schools across America. 
Because now our president wants to bring in guns and make it a war zone. Those kids, they hear that. Yeah. They hear it. What does it mean to them? They, they realize, oh, they're bringing guns. That means, oh, they're going to shoot me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, keeping democracy alive. There's so much to do. I'm very pleased to have with us his guest, Laurel Krauss, who is uh, an activist who has been uh, at, on the front lines, not by choice, but by the fact that her sister was killed by the National Guard in 1970, May 4th, 1970. We're talking about uh, Parkland and Kent and what may come of it, how much power young people may really have. I have a friend, James Pendle, who writes for the Boston Globe. He had this observation. When historians look back on the last decade in America, they can explore many dark themes, political polarization, growing inequality, disruptive technological change, and mass shootings. But, and I like this part, historians should also note a silver lining. This is a golden age of American political activism. And he's he's neutral. Believe me, he is. It's amazing. I don't know where he stands politically from Tea Party rallies back to his words from the Tea Party rallies to Black Lives Matter protests to women's and pro-immigrant marches. And this recent discussion about gun control, the national conversation is dominated not just by the discussion of politics, but what they can do about it. End of quote. What did we do about Kent State back then? I wonder how effective it was. And how how effective can young people be today? They want to do something about it. And that, I think, is what's different about it. And that, you know, as Nixon was our best anti-war organizer, Trump is clearly our best organizer on so many other fronts. So what what is being done? What What did we do, do you think, back then that was effective? And what about today's young people? What can they do that, that will be effective? Well, back then... Um, not much was effective. <laughs> Sorry to say. Yeah, I, you know, I wish it was. I know. Um, what I witnessed, you know, what I witnessed. Uh, my, you know, my family and my father uh, took it to the courts. That that was the way that we decided to fight it. He decided to fight it. Um, I didn't have a lot of faith in it. And I said that to him. I said, I don't know if that's going to ma- make it, Dad. You know, and he looked at me like I was a traitor. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I just the I, the eyes of innocence. You know, we know things that, you know, the older people won't know. And that's what's so great about the kids. But um, he took it to the courts nine years later, you know, statement of regret. You know, uh, uh, the one good thing that came out of Kent State, um, well, two, uh, brought an end to war faster. Yeah. Um, also, uh, uh, my father had to get the right to sue a state, which wasn't possible before Kent State. Um a state was a sovereign state. It meant it was above the law. Ah. And um, Ohio was one of those states. So we could not sue them. We could not sue the the governor or the National Guard or anybody because you they're above the law. They're wow. not, you know, you can't sue the state. And so he took it to, you know, he tried to sue, and they said, no, you can't. And then he took it to the appellate, no, you can't. And then he took it to the, you know, and he took it to the U.S. Supreme Court, and he won. Oh. And so he got the right to sue Ohio four to five years later, when everything is very quiet and cold and people have, you know, moved on. Um, And so that's when the court's case really began. Uh, But that meant that the state 
all there were no longer any sovereign states across America. Hmm. And so it changed the rules of how we, uh, you know, about litigation hmm. and responsibility hmm. of the state. Um, and so that was a big win that very few people know about with Kent State. But in terms that of the... Interesting. You know, it was a First Amendment event. You know, they were protesting. They were killed in in the process of them expressing their First Amendment. Yes. That is very illegal. Yep. But the government approach was to take a look at it as a First Amendment and not the killed part. <laughs> they just forgot about that. Yeah. And in, in the courts, you really can't, you know control these kind of things, and, and, and so it just kind of fizzled out, and it really didn't go many places, and that was a shame, um, <clears throat> and there was never any accountability, and uh, I've been fighting for that for the last um, 10 years with forming the Kent State Truth Tribunal with Emily Kunstler. Uh-huh. We've collected the stories of original participants and witnesses of the Kent State Massacre, and we've recorded them, filmed them. Uh, uh, by the 50th, we're hoping to have a beautiful website where people can go and learn the history mm. of Kent State from the actual participants instead mm. of what our government right. does. Right, 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 right. Yeah, real, and real uh, I think that that is really an important part of how we heal, um, which is a big part of what I would really like to talk about is healing. Um, and I think when we tell our story and we have it recognized and recorded and, and noted as historical, um, that uh, we can then deal with our, our, our pain. But when no one will listen to us, right. and we're told, oh, don't bother about that, just move on. You know, where do we go with that energy? And so I'm hoping that we can help the kids in Parkland that way. Who knows? Maybe I'll be involved in that project. I would like it. Um, but <clears throat> the kids... Um, they're starting a process of healing. It's they, they, in a way, you know. I don't think you can heal without recognizing what the wound actually is. There, you know, you can't. Yeah, you have to have truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, what a concept, truth. And you know, the the NRA. I find it somewhat amusing. You know, that side of the political aisle. You know, they can't handle the fact, the fact, the truth that these kids are not. Actors, for example, they're trying to denigrate them and say that, oh, they can't, you know, and it's not working. I love the fact that it's not working. And I, you know, everything that they've tried is not working. You saw Dana, the spokesmodel. God. The spokesmodel, and when she talked about how you love that, I mean, I was like, are you kidding? That's coming out of her mouth? I know. I know. No one does. No one. Well, this is so maybe this is, you know, there are good things. Maybe this is part of the silver lining that people are realizing, hey, wait a minute here. You know, this is not your normal times. We have this crazy president in there and it's really, really dangerous. And people I I have. I mean, I've been politically active all my life, uh, but a lot of people haven't been. This has created a whole lot of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have never been active before, but the election of Trump did it. And I have this sense that this massacre down in Florida may have the same result in in reinvigorating actual participation in our democracy. They want us to believe we don't have any power. Uh, I, I think 
There's a lot more of us than them. Yes. We just have to keep remembering that. <laughs> there are, you know, so many these people, and they're, I, I don't mean to this in a really terrible way, but it sounds that way. Oh, go ahead. It's just a bunch of old white guys. Oh, yeah. You know, just running the stuff, and they need to be taken out. You know, you know, go retire. Go live off all that money that you've been collecting. Let's take a look at what you've been doing to collect that money. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, yeah. I, I want to talk about the kids right now. And the, the students are returning to school, but I, I don't know what's going on with the schools across the country. I don't have a teenager. I, you know, I wish I, I knew a little bit more about, you know, how those kids are doing. Yeah, I don't know. But, but you want to talk about healing. Parkland, let, let's, let, let's talk about healing. And, you know, I remember right after, and you want to talk about that, which is, I think, a good thing, how we heal, what's involved in healing. You know, right after the victory of Trump, uh, the cultural and political divide suddenly grew more intense. Uh, people were upset by the divide. And, and at the time, some people were actually calling for healing when the divide was getting much, much worse really quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't the right time for, you know, for healing. Uh, and your article asks, after the dust settles, Will there be healing? What might that healing look like? What's necessary for for the for the healing? What What are your thoughts on that? You... Well, I, I, personally, I know that um, every one of those students and and uh, teachers and janitors and even the officers, the sheriffs, men have a story, and that story needs to be heard and respected. And honored, uh-huh. and recorded. We have to get back to that, where the people that were there get to share what they saw and heard, not what media is telling us, not what our leaders are shoving down our throats, mm-hmm. not what we see by the pundits and the talking heads. I want to hear from the people who were there, because they know what happened, and when they tell their story. And it gets, uh, it's available to the public for all to know. And it's recognized. That moment, there's healing. In that moment, it's healing for the individual as well as the society. Because that's what truth does. When someone can speak their truth, they become empowered. And when someone is not allowed to speak their truth, the opposite of that happens. And that's what we've had. A lot of not being able to say what really happened, a lot of false narratives, a lot... This is what our world is these days. And we have to figure out a way to winnow the truth from the narratives that are being created by those in power. And I don't know how we do that. But right now, I mean, the the Kent State Truth Tribunal that I worked on... In the year 2010, we held three tribunals, one at Kent, Ohio, one in San Francisco, and one in New York. When we did that, it it, it was 40 years after the event. And so it it could only have so much uh, credibility in some ways because things could change Mm -hmm. over years in Mm -hmm. people's minds, Mm -hmm. etc. But what the benefit of this is we could get to the kids now. They could have this for themselves later on in their lives. Uh, good idea. Which I would have really liked to have had. You know, I, I have a couple of film interviews 
that I've managed to see over the years when, you know, right after. Um, and, and, and it's like it's gold to me because it allows me to reconnect with then and how I felt then. Because years later, you can't remember that kind of stuff. And you yeah. wonder, you wonder, well, well how did that, how that affect me? Well, they would have that. And so that's a healing. But here, the, the kids that are, they're so together, these children. Yeah. They're, they're so together. They already have their, their, what they want. And I want to read what they want, because I think oh, it's important do. that we all get behind what they want. Yes. They, they want school safety. They want gun safety. They want better controls related to mental illness than the and and getting of guns. They want less goals on campus and less gun excuse me, less guns on campus and less guns in the schools. They just want less guns. Right. That's what they want. Imagine that. What a concept. Fewer guns. You know, the gun as somebody said, uh, you know, if if your child is is beating another child with a stick, no, it's not the stick's yeah. fault. But you take the stick away, you do take the stick away. And what you're saying about truth, I think you know the truth shall make you free. Uh, it, it, during the Vietnam War, there was the uh, Winter Soldier hearings uh, in 1971, where the soldiers themselves came back and got together. Not the official truth, not the government truth, but they told the truths of what they had seen in in Vietnam. That's important stuff. Uh, there was, you know, after the first one of those guys that participated in that, I'm sure feels better yes. than the ones that haven't. Yes, absolutely. And to tell the truth, if we could learn the truth, it, it's been amazing to me how the obvious lessons of Vietnam are specifically and intentionally not learned. The truth is, we shouldn't have been there. We were, you know, we, we tried, to, you know, you just don't do that. You don't impose a puppet government on people that don't want it. And, you know, you just don't do that. But we're not learning that. And that's where the truth comes in. Because you're right. The truth is, there are too many guns out there. There are too many guns out there. And telling the truth about it, telling the truth about what happened at Kent State, I don't know how you can heal without getting to that truth. It's really a first step, and and, and tell you, I don't know the other steps. I mean, I, mean, uh-huh. I know that for my personal EMDR or my personal post traumatic stress, you know, saga, um, EMDR, mm-hmm. eye movement deprogramming reprocessing yes. was a godsend. It was the only thing that ever worked for me, and I searched from the stuff. age twenty on, and I finally got it. Like I think five years ago. I mean, finally. I got to put away my post-traumatic stress disorder that was triggering me every minute of my life. Wow. Those kids, they're at the beginning of their trauma right now. It's not Mm. a happy road. I know that road, and I would love to be able to help them. I would love to be able to be involved in, in putting together a program where people that go through this kind of thing can actually have their healing, but there's just no mandate. It's not out there. Our government could care less. Our our representatives, they they got things that they got to attend to related to how much money they got to put in the bank. Let's get real. (laughs) Yeah, they do. That's, it's true, but we have to, uh, we have to do that and provide an opportunity for them to do that. And I think one of the, uh, the big differences these days is how, isolated people feel from one another. I mean, back in 1970, 
social media wasn't even imaginable. But today it permeates everything. It has had the effect of keeping people isolated from one another. It's a real hunger for social and emotional bonding. And that combined with young people's desire for social, political, and economic justice, I wonder if this incident at Parkland may well be a significant spark, a catalyst for this this generation, because they get a chance to be with one another and to, you know, uh, connect with one another in a way that they have not been able to do. Your thoughts. And solve problems with each other. Yes. They get to say, okay, we had this thing happen to us. What do we want to do about it? And 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 the government, actually, they're actually on the shows now. They have the mic. How amazing. I, I mean, the first day of the Parkland shooting thing, they called it a massacre. I was shocked, shocked that they would actually give it the correct name. <laughs> uh, what, they didn't call it a massacre at Kent State right away? It's never called a massacre, honey. The only one Ooh. that calls it a massacre is me. And me. <laughs> I, I'm surprised. I mean, I laugh, but they're like, uh, okay. Well, they're... that's how they control culture They with the words that wow. they use, the framing, the narrative, the whole thing. Yes. Oh, it's an unfortunate incident that uh-huh. happened. You know that. Incident. It was uh-huh. a mistake. Oh, it's an accident. We're really, really sorry, but uh-huh. not really. Uh-huh. Thoughts and prayers, Right. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers aren't going to cut it. I'll tell you, I, I don't know any anybody who's going to say after the next massacre, which I, you know, I hope there's not, but if there is, they're not going to do the damn thoughts and prayers thing again. I wonder, you know, this empowering, I sense that this may be a real empowering moment. I mean, they got shocked. They got shot. They, were, they had no sense of power whatsoever, those kids in that Parkland High School. But now they're demanding gun safety laws. And I wonder if this is, I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, as you say, it's just the beginning of that, I'm sure. But I wonder about this being a lifelong lesson in terms of taking power to oneself, you know, especially if they can achieve some real change. Your thoughts? Well, one of the the biggest problems we've had is getting um, connection with all the people that were harmed with Kent State. Uh, now, it's been near impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very bummer topic for most people, yeah. and they they spent a lot a lot of their life making distance between themselves and that not really because it's too painful. Right. They lost right. friends, and you know, and it it just was a real bad period. It was our youth, you know, and we were we were it. You know, but here, this has an opportunity for connectivity with multiple generations, with people from all walks of life, uh, with the kids leading the way, like no other event I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. This couldn't be the change. This could be the beginning of the change. Gosh, I hope you're right. I mean, it it takes something like this, and, and which brings us back to... Uh, how we started the show, change only comes after enough innocent blood soaks into America's soil. Wow. Maybe it's doing that. Well, if people are interested in uh, getting in touch with you and the Kent State Truth Tribunal, uh, how should they do that? I have a website. Uh, the Kent State Truth Tribunal is uh, truth is uh, truthtribunal.org. Truthtribunal.org. Um, I have a blog. Uh-huh. Uh, you can uh, read my writing at Mendo Coast Current. 
just Google that, Mendo, as in M-E-N-D-O, Coast Current. Uh-huh. I'm published at places like Counterpunch and oh, the yes. Anderson Valley Advertiser. And uh-huh. I'm, I'm on Facebook, and we have Kent State Truth Tribunal pages, as well as the Allison Center for Peace, which is a, a, a very favorite project of mine. Uh-huh. We're creating a place where people can interact in peace here and just get on with our peace, because it doesn't seem they're going to give it to us. No, we have to take it. We have to take it. Thank you so much. We Look- have to create it, too. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and I think the kids are leading the way. We'll just get out of the way and, and follow. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Best of luck with everything, and uh, uh, you're doing some really important work. Thank you for doing that. Thanks, Bert. It's been a pleasure to be on, and I, and I send my best to everyone, and, and let's get behind those kids, please. Absolutely. Well, here's a song, not the obvious song, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Ohio. This is Barbara Dane, uh, The Kent State Massacre. And check out the words, written shortly after the fact. Thanks so much for listening. Stay active. Brothers, listen to my story. Sisters, listen to my song. Gonna sing it for young people Who are now dead and gone Two of them were twenty And two were just nineteen Just stepping out to meet the world Like so many you have seen It was in Kent State, Ohio On a Monday afternoon The air was full of springtime The flowers were in blue Well, it was a scene of terror That none will soon forget Young students stood with empty hands To face the bayonet Allie Krauss and Sandy Scheuer Marched and sang a peaceful song Like Bill Schroeder and Jeff Miller They did not think it wrong They laughed and joked with troopers And some to them did say We marched to bring the G.I.s home And we are not afraid No warning were they given, no mercy and no chance. The air was filled with tear gas, the troopers did advance. Suddenly they knelt and fired, the students turned and fled. Fifteen fell at that moment and four of them were dead. On the campus they were murdered In the springtime of their lives As angry sorrow swept the land Their friends and parents cried They'd hardly learned to struggle But witness they will be They died for those in Vietnam Also for you and me While we march and mourn today There's much more we must do 
Murdering system in 